If you're new to our church, we've been in the book of Ephesians for a few months. And I just want to give a flyover of where we've been. We, we're in chapter 2 right now. But uh, in chapter 1, Paul was writing the church at Ephesus. And Paul was writing from prison. Now, when you read the book of Ephesians, you would have no idea that Paul is in prison. But Paul, as he's writing and encouraging the church at Ephesus, Paul is overwhelmed with the grace and sovereignty of God, not just in his life, but in the believers at Ephesus' lives as well. I mean, God has poured out tremendous blessings. And we looked at that in the first uh, 14 verses of chapter 1. And then Paul goes on in chapter 1 to pray for the church of Ephesus that God might give us a wisdom and knowledge to continue to grow in these things. So if you're not familiar with uh, the book of Ephesians, and you're questioning God's love and presence and sovereignty in your life, let me encourage you to go to chapter 1 and meditate on those truths, okay? If you're a child of God, because God has done poured out tremendous blessings in your life. Then we come to chapter 2, and she's fine. And chapter 2, Paul is speaking specifically to the Gentiles, okay? And he's talking about what life was like before Christ. Um, And they were, um, Paul says that they were um, cut off from the promises and the word of God. They were cut off from hearing God and that they were far from God and without hope. They were alienated from him. And that describes all our lives in Jesus. If you're not a Jew this morning, then you are a Gentile, okay? And this described all Gentiles. And you know what? It described all Jews as well who do not believe in Jesus Christ, him coming as Messiah, the Savior of the world. We're all in need of the gospel. And before Christ, we were completely alienated and without hope. I did a funeral service on Friday. And there were a lot of lost people in that service. And during that service, I was, I was reading the promises of God and the promises of God that are made available to them if they'll just believe. Now, I knew the Christians in that audience. I didn't know their names. I had never met them before. But as I was sharing these promises, the Christians were engaged. I had eye contact with them. They were nodding their heads. 
They knew what I was talking about, and they believed this themselves. But for those who are lost, it was as if they were looking into a fog. There was a glazed look over their life, over their eyes. And they looked absolutely hopeless without God. My friends, it doesn't have to be that way. God loves you. And God has done so much to show his love to you, has poured out all these blessings. If we'll just by faith believe in what God has promised to each and every one of us. And so here we see this in chapter two of what life was like before Christ. But then we come to verse 13 and Paul says in chapter two, verse verse 13, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's what through it's what Christ did through the cross that we have been brought near to him and we have been reconciled. We've been reconciled with God and we can be reconciled with others who are in Christ Jesus. And how? How does this happen? By one event, the cross. It's the cross alone. It's through the cross of Christ that we can find peace with God. The Bible says that before Christ, we were hostile. We were enemies of God. But through the cross, you and I can become reconciled and we can be friends with God, and we can have the peace, we can make peace with God. Have you made that decision? That is the most important decision of your entire life, is what do you do with the person of Jesus Christ? And when we have, when we have made peace with God, the Bible says, then we receive the peace of God. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So we have peace with God, for one, and then through the cross, we find reconciliation with others who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing, he's speaking to two groups, primarily Gentiles in this church, but there's also Jews who believe in the person of Christ, who believes in what Christ did on the cross. These two groups, the Bible says, God has made one. Before Christ... These two groups hated each other. They used various slurs to identify the other group. They were at odds with each other. 
But through the cross, the Bible says that that God has reconciled Jews and Gentiles. But this can only happen if these two parties, these two groups, love Jesus. Okay? It can't happen beyond the cross. It requires the cross. Now, I want to just talk about an illustration for a second, okay? A triangle. We all know what a triangle is. What's at the bottom of the triangle? Okay, if you look at that triangle, let's think of Jews on one side and Gentiles on the other side, okay? As you're looking at this triangle, and if those two groups are looking at each other, okay, just looking at the bottom at each other, they're the furthest apart. But if those two individuals, the Jew and the Gentile, will take their eyes off of each other and put it on Jesus, who's at the top of the triangle, as they pursue Christ, as they appreciate the grace of God in their life, as of all that God has done in their life, guess what? As both the Jew and the Gentile look and pursue Jesus, what happens? The two become one in Christ. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. The two became one. He created a new man a new body, the church, okay? And this is what Paul's describing in chapter 2. This principle will work with whatever conflict that you're having in your life. If you're having a marriage conflict, if you're having a child conflict, if you're having a work-related conflict, if both parties have come into a relationship, they've made peace with God and are pursuing Jesus. Relationships can be reconciled. But it's only through Christ. And that is what Christ has done in this church in Ephesus And so these Jews and these Gentiles are a testimony to the city of Ephesus of what God can do, taking two groups who hated each other and then beginning them beginning to understand and love each other. And so that brings us to chapter verses 19 through 22. Very quickly, I want to read this and, uh, and just, uh, Share a devotional thought. So verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place 
for God by the Spirit. When He makes us one, when He reconciles us to Himself, Paul says there is a transformation that occurs in the Christian's life. They become part of God's family, and they become part of God's building. Okay? Let's talk about those two things for just a second. Number one, the building. The Bible says that when we come into relationship with, with Christ, we are joined together into a dwelling place for God's holy, as God's holy temple. Okay? As Christians, Peter describes in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 that we are living stones. Okay? And so if, if, if God is in your life, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, and you are God's temple. You know, where, where does God live on earth today? You know, in the Old Testament, he lived in the temple, okay? And you need to go to the temple to encounter God. Temple's been destroyed. Temple's not there. Where does God live on earth today? That's right, Forrest Beckman back. He lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are living stones, okay? And he takes every one of those living stones and he's building an edifice, a, a building, a, a temple, a supernatural, invisible temple that will give glory and honor to him. And it's not just the local church church, we're talking about the universal church, okay? And this church, this, this, this glorious temple that Jesus is building with living stones requires one foundation and one foundation alone. It's a foundation that has a cornerstone, okay? Jesus being the cornerstone. Now, as Paul was writing to this church, it was a Greek culture. They understood cornerstones. As the Greeks would build buildings, they would use a significantly large cornerstone that was perfectly square to build the rest of the building. Okay? And so that cornerstone has to be Perfect. It has to be exact, and it's going to determine the, what the rest of the walls of that building are going to be. And Paul said, Jesus is that cornerstone. Not only is Jesus the cornerstone, but the rest of the foundation is the teachings of the apostles and the prophets of the Old Testament. This is what the church 
is built upon. And it is very important that as living stones of God's building, that we align ourselves with what the Word of God says. Because if we don't follow Scripture and what the Word says, that building can become wonky. It's not going to last. God's building, built God's way, with God's people, is going to be something that's going to be glorious and give honor to Him. We are part of God's building. We are members of each, each, of each other as he places us where he wants us to be in this wall, in this structure. And this structure represents Christians all over the face of the world. So that's the building that you and I are part of. But he also says, when we were transformed, we became part of God's family. God's family. I love family. My wife and I, I'm sorry that my wife couldn't be here. Susan couldn't be here this morning. She's sick. In fact, both Emily's family and Allison's family are sick. So something's still going on. But um, Susan and I, when we were growing up, I grew up in Fresno. Susan and Manteca, we had great families. We were richly blessed. I loved being with family. You know, it was, it was where we were accepted. And then when we were married into each other's family, we loved going home and seeing uh, family as we had lived two and 300 miles away from those families. But there was love, there was acceptance. We just enjoyed each other's company together. Now, some of you didn't get that blessing. It was rather dysfunctional. I want you to know that God has a blessing for you. Even if you missed it in your earthly family, you can have it in your spiritual family. You know what? Susan and I have experienced wonderful blessings in the spiritual family as we've served in various churches. And you're thinking to yourself, well, pastor, you're the pastor, okay? So, of course, people are going to treat you as family. No, I've seen this with members throughout congregations that I've been a part of. As they have been involved in the life of the church and they're serving and they're consistent and they're faithful. A church is family. And I've seen a lot of curveballs thrown at them that caught them totally off guard. And I've watched the church come alongside them and minister to them in their time of need. Paul says we've been transformed into God's family. I want you to know that this family is not just here in Ridgecrest. 
You know, I've been down to Mexico. We've done many mission trips down to Mexico, to Cade, Ensenada, vacation Bible schools, things of this nature, and we worship with those churches. I don't speak Spanish. So I have no, I have no clue what they're saying as I'm sitting in their worship service. But I want you to know, because we're all in the body of Christ, even though I don't understand a word, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we visit together, um, spend time together, there's a love that connects us through Christ. I've been to Togo, Africa. I've worshipped in, in small places where they speak French and I have no idea what they're saying. But you know what? There is a connection there through Christ. And we are a family and we love each other. Susan has experienced that in China and in Korea when she's gone to serve in other places. Wherever you go on the face of the planet and people are different and you can't communicate to them through language, there is a spiritual connection through Christ that is never going to fade away. The Bible says that's what we have been transformed in. I love our Hispanic congregation. I'll go and worship with our Hispanic church. Don't speak Spanish. But we love each other as we get together. We have a Chinese church that meets on Sunday afternoon at uh, 3.30. Don't speak Chinese, but when we're together, we love each other. That's the body of Christ. Wherever you go, if people know and have been transformed by the cross of Christ, we are family. I don't know where you're at this morning. You know, maybe maybe this is all new to you. Maybe I kind of described you like in the funeral service I connect, conducted on Friday. I mean, what I'm talking about is foreign to you. You feel far from God. I want you to know you don't have to be. God has opened the door wide open. Now, understand, it's a narrow door. It's only one door that you can pass through, and that's through the person of Christ. But if you understand that you're a sinner and you stand in need of a Savior and believe that Jesus died for you, you need the forgiveness of you trust. It's funny how I begin to talk like this, you know, talk about the gospel and my microphone goes out. Okay? That's spiritual warfare. God doesn't want you to hear this message, but this is the truth. I implore you to call upon Christ who has died for your sin. He wants to be your Savior. 
to transform your life, to make you part of His building, part of His family, and that when you come into the house of God, it doesn't feel weird. It's, it's no longer foreign. No, you've come home. You've got a family here. And wherever you go around the world, and you go to a church that preaches the gospel, and even if their language is different from yours, you can walk into that place and know that you're home. You're with brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Christ has done through the cross. Paul wanted Ephesus to know this because they were going through some stuff. Paul wants the church of Ridgecrest, Emmanuel Baptist Church, to know this. May we embrace this truth and be that family to others who need to come to know Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And you and you alone, giving us the spiritual family that we need. Lord, we're not perfect. But as we keep our eyes on Jesus rather than each other, God, we're going to find reconciliation. We're going to find oneness and forgiveness. So with those, Lord, who may be struggling in in this place, God, may they cast their eyes on Christ. Today, may it be the day of their salvation when they surrender their life to him. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.